The scripture reading for today is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-18. through 18. Listen now to the word of the Lord. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient Fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Welcome to our annual New Year's Eve service or our uh, white night, uh, watch night service. Um, please pray with me. Lord, we bring to you this night our past with all that has happened in our lives, our hopes and our dreams, our successes and our failures, our gains and our losses. We bring to you our present lives filled with exhaustion, wonder, fear, concern. We come to you with hearts open to receive your word for us for the future. We want to be part of your new heaven and earth to serve you by serving others. Speak to us, heal us, teach us, lead us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this year, an international panel of historians was asked to identify what, in their opinion, was the most stressful year in human history. By a wide margin, the number one choice was 1348. That was the height of the bubonic plague, which may have killed a third of the human population in Europe and the Middle East, perhaps as many as 200 million people. Number two, most stressful year in human history, 1944. That was the height of the Holocaust during World War II. Number three, the year 1816, known as the year without a summer. That was when the volcanic eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia 
blocked out the sun, causing temperatures to drop and created massive crop failures across the globe and starvation for millions of people. Number four, 1644. The 30 years war raged on. Can you imagine being in a war for 30 years? It was the year that the Ming dynasty also collapsed in China. And number five, the year 410, when the barbarians sacked Rome. And coming in at number six, the year 2020. In case you weren't sure, at least some historians believe that we are living through one of the most difficult, unprecedented years in the history of the world. As the country is now recording the highest numbers of COVID cases since the pandemic began, it may feel like we are back to square one after nearly two years of this. And ending the year back in a Zoom service is a discouraging reminder of how far we still have yet to go. And yet I would remind you that there is still much to be thankful for. Though this is not idea, we can be thankful that we are still able to gather and worship together. We can be thankful and more deeply appreciate the face-to-face -face time that we do have with our extended families and friends. We can be thankful for the lessons that this season has taught us, not the least of which has been the importance of gathering together in person and the challenges and the difficulties of making decisions. Perhaps this night, we can be especially thankful that the covenantal promises of God have not changed. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And behold, I am making all things new. In Protestant churches, white watch night services have generally focused on a renewal of covenant. At the heart of our theology is the belief that we are not our own but that God has made a claim on us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God has cleansed, forgiven, and saved us from our sins. And at the same time, God has called us also and empowered us to give of ourselves wholly for the service to the world. God's covenant with us never changes, never wavers, but our covenant with God to serve him and to love our neighbors as ourselves it's prone to wander, proven to be shaky, and in need of reminders and renewal, such as tonight. So as we stand on the cusp of a new year, or as most of us are sitting on the cusp of a new year, we can rededicate ourselves as we consider these words from Second Peter. Our reading tells us the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter imagines the approach of the end of the world and he asks, what sort of people ought we to be? What sort of people ought we to be? As we face another year of the pandemic, as the world appears to be spiraling ever deeper into an abyss from which it may not be able to recover, what sort of people ought we to be? He concludes, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, 
knowing this beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, that is your own steadfastness, your firm commitment. But instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The exhortation is to grow in this combination of grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and knowledge should be separated and understood separately. That is, we are to grow in grace. That is the experience of God's graciousness, God's unmerited favor toward us. And at the same time, we are to actively pursue and deepen our knowledge of Christ. The imperative for us is to grow both in the sense of increasingly being receptive to what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ, and to at the same time increasingly act in faithfulness in response to that grace. And this combination is critical. I'm not sure how many of you still make New Year's resolutions, but you've probably made some over the years, probably to be more spiritual, to pray more, or to read through the Bible and, and things like that. Psychologists tell us that it's not a bad idea. In fact, it's a good idea to make resolutions and to begin new patterns of living on meaningful days, like a birthday, the first of the month, or the new year. I can tell you, for example, that I resolved somewhat informally to lose some of the weight I've gained during the last several months, beginning tomorrow. I have a basic plan of eating less, and exercising more, and I am anticipating feeling better about myself in a couple of months. This is what resolutions are essentially about, right? It's largely a program of self-improvement and self-congratulations. And maybe you get a few congratulations from the people around you. It's a way to feel better about myself. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But as Christians, I'd like for us to consider this. When I think of resolutions, the first name that comes to mind is the 18th century theologian, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was easily one of the greatest minds of his or any generation, and he produced some of the most important theological works of his day. He was also instrumental in the Great Awakening. He spent time as a missionary and he had a brief stint as the president of Princeton University before an early, untimely death. But before all of that, before all of his accomplishments, at the ripe age of 18, he was invited to become the pastor of a Presbyterian church in New York that had recently split. It was a challenging situation. And so over a period of eight months, he composed a list of 70 resolutions to guide his life and his work. Among his resolutions, we find these. Number five, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but seize the time to use it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Number seven, resolve never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number 20, resolve to maintain the wisest and healthiest practices in my eating and drinking. 
These are resolutions that anyone might make. They're all good life guides, even for today. You can probably find some variations of these resolutions on self-help bookshelves. Edwards also had these other spiritual resolutions. Number 26, resolved to oust away anything I find that diminishes my assurance of God's love and grace. 28, resolved to study the scripture so steadily and so constantly and so frequently that it becomes evident, even obvious to myself that my knowledge of them has grown. Resolved to strive to my utmost every week to be brought to a higher spiritual place and to a greater experience of grace than I was the week before. You know, when I read through his resolutions, I, it's, just, it's just incredible how he tried to live his life. And it's such a challenge uh, for me in thinking about the way I'm living my life. But again, you know, these resolutions are any that a religious person might make. And some people read this list as inspiration to simply work harder, to more diligently pursue a pure spiritual life. And again, that is not a bad thing to do. However, it would be a grave mistake to think that Edwards was writing a kind of self-help book or list on how to be more religious or how to be more righteous, how you can do these things and become better. What was crucial to his entire endeavor, what comes before his very first resolution are these words. He wrote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. He understood that no amount of determination would lead him to successfully keeping his resolutions. He commits himself to a particular kind of life, but one that is founded on the grace of God. This is fundamentally in contrast to the kinds of resolutions that we make, the kinds of goals that people make to create and to achieve their own personal growth by their own personal efforts. For example, one of Jonathan Edwards' contemporaries was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin also made uh, resolutions, which he revised throughout his life. When he was just 20 years old, he wrote this. Resolved to apply myself industriously to whatever business I take in hand and not divert my mind from my business by any foolish project of growing suddenly rich. For industry and patience are the surest means of plenty. Again, this is good advice, right? Don't get yourself involved and get rich, uh, quick, get rich scams. But look at the goal of Franklin's life. It's plenty. It's to have plenty. To secure his material security and prosperity. Now, again, that is not a terrible goal. It's understandable that someone would want to have plenty when they're struggling and have so little. But Edwards looked for something else, something more. And this is how he starts off his first resolution. Number one, resolved. 
I will do whatever I think will be most to God's glory. You see, this is not about self-improvement. Most people ask, how can I increase my happiness, my comfort, my status, my prosperity? But for Edwards, life was ultimately not about securing personal success. It was about maximizing the glory of God. And he knew that only that pursuit would ultimately lead as a consequence to his own greatest satisfaction and happiness. And that's what Peter is telling us, I think, tonight. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter what the year holds, no matter how much better or worse this new year gets, no matter what other goals you may have for the coming year, I want to encourage you to recommit yourself to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this evening that we can gather to close out 2021 and to enter into 2022. And we look forward, God, to this new year of all that you have in store for us, the good, the challenges, and even the sadness that await us. Help us in all that we do, God, to seek your glory and help us as individuals, as families, and as a church to grow in grace, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of him who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.